listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Thank you for joining us today. My name's Colin Hamilton. I look after the metals and bulk commodity research and market intelligence here at BMO Capital Markets. I'm joined today by my colleague, uh, Brian Quast. Brian, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, thank you, Colin. This is uh, Brian Quast. I cover the mid-cap gold names, gold equities for BMO Capital Markets. Also have a fairly strong technical background, and we'll be talking about uh, some of the technical stuff involved in the new gold price environment that we find ourselves in today. Uh, And with that, uh, perhaps we can have Colin set the table for us with an outlook of our current gold price forecasts and why we are where we are today. Thank you, Brian. I mean, certainly gold is in focus, has been for much of the past little while. It's because we are in a very precious, positive macroeconomic environment. We have low yields, we have high geopolitical risk, and we have loose monetary policy all across the world. Now, all these factors are extremely supportive of uh, asset allocation towards gold and extremely supportive of current prices. And of course, recently we have seen record nominal gold prices with prices uh, hitting above $2,000 an ounce for the first time in history. But that's kind of on par uh, on an inflation adjusted basis with what we saw back in 1980-81 and also uh, in 2012-2013. Now, with that, it's interesting how the gold market has changed. Previously and through the history of gold, it's been been a commodity in the sense that you've had price-sensitive marginal buyers, whether it be jewellery wholesalers, whether it be retail investors. They were very sensitive to the price of gold. Now, the way the gold market has changed, for me, the key change over the past 10 years has been the emergence of gold-backed ETFs, which are much more mandate-driven. So the the marginal buyer of gold on a daily basis now is a macro-asset allocator. What we're looking at now, and particularly now we're looking at a Federal Reserve, which is moving towards average inflation targeting over the current period, which uh, raises the, the barrier to tightening even further, as an extended period for gold prices above our long-run equilibrium. Uh, we're not looking for prices to necessarily gap higher again. What we're looking at is a more sustained period at or around current levels uh, with supportive factors underpinning them. Now, I want to take it on to think about the, the mining industry and, and, and gold mining companies. Obviously, they are in an interesting position in terms of the cycle, good leverage to the gold price where we are today. But for their assets themselves, I think the long run through the cycle price expectation is is more important. It governs what you can economically recover. It governs the value of the asset. Now, for gold, you could argue that classic supply and demand balances matter less than for, say, the industrial metals. But for the long term, we do actually use a very similar approach. We use an incentive pricing approach. Uh, We're basically saying, what supply do we need to satiate the expected demand, factoring in asset depletion, scrap expectations, demand growth assumptions? And what price level will make that happen? Will incentivize suitable projects to market? As I say, it's a common approach we use across a, a number of commodities. Now, our long run price, which flows through into our equity models, is $1,400 an ounce. So below, certainly current spot levels. But to put it in context, um, the post Bretton Woods average, so when the, the Bretton Woods system uh, went away in 1971, the, the, the post Bretton Woods average is $900 an ounce. So we're looking at a price that's, I mean, almost 50% above those levels. 
We're not solving for a rapid growth industry. In fact, trend growth in gold demand is essentially zero. We're looking at a steady state market. We've got uh, growth, of course, in, in ETS, but industrial demand is declining, and there are many more alternatives available to retail investors now. Now, in our view, $1,400 an ounce is a level that will not only cover operating capital costs for decent gold uh, development assets, but it'll also allow a return on capital to shareholders. Now, this is important, and it's quite a new concept for the gold industry. Discipline is now starting to come through. This has been an industry which has been growth for growth's sake over much of the past 40, 50 years. But now we are now factoring in that return to shareholders because the the gold miners do have to compete uh, for capital with not only gold-backed ETFs now, but of course with wider equity markets, which are performing well. A good cross-check on this long-run price is looking at gold against uh, 10-year tips, so treasury inflation protected securities. This is always the best correlation over time. And $1,400 per ounce gold corresponds to roughly zero in in 10-year tips. Um, And with that, I mean, a a low interest rate environment over a sustained period, that that seems like a reasonable cross-check. I think, Brian, I'll pass it back to you to perhaps explain why gold price assumptions are are important to the miners. Yeah, thanks again, Colin. And uh, just before we get started along here, what we're going to be doing is we're going to walk through the the gold equities and how they look at the world in a $2,000 roughly environment that we're in today, or perhaps in a $1,400 long-term environment. What impacts their behavior, how investors can look at each company and their reactions to this, and what, what is going to make a compelling investment as we come out the back end. So perhaps the easiest place to start is where companies uh, build their mines from, which is reserves. Um, we published a Mining 101 presentation that goes through how reserves are delineated, how they're formulated, and how they're, uh, how they're captured geologically. But for now, what we'll say is that the ceiling price, if you like, for calculating reserves, so that's the gold price assumption below which uh, the, the companies have to use, is going to be about $1,420. That's the three-year trailing gold price, and the SEC mandates that as a, as a ceiling. And what that really means is that if a ton of ore doesn't make money uh, at a $1,400 gold price and the revenue that that would entail, it's not no longer considered a reserve. So when we use our $1,400 long-term price, that correlates very nicely with the technical reports we get, whether they be JORC or 43101 or you know whatever the company is uh, publishing. And they set their costs to some extent based on those. They are the best modeling tools we have for the equities. Um, one of the things that uh, we might sort of talk about now, though, is that with the gold price currently sitting much higher than the $1,400, is that there are opportunities for, we could call it cheating on the mine plan, Uh, we could call it exogenous profits uh, above and beyond the mine plan. But realistically, what ends up happening is that the mining companies tend to mine to a more of a medium term goal. Uh, You can adjust your mine plan without having to uh, change your uh, publicly filed technical report. So therefore, what we're starting to see in some isolated cases now, but I do expect it to be a trend in the future, is the quote unquote mining outside of reserves. Uh, This can be put forward in a very positive way in terms of we're doing some uh, development and we found some marginal ore. Uh, It was there, so we put it through the mill and it makes money at these levels. Uh, It can be put in terms of something a little bit more negative in terms of, well, we're running towards the end of this and we're going to preserve uh, some of the higher grade material. 
Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of ways to look at it, but essentially what you're doing versus the publicly available information is you're extending the mine life. So the leverage that that equity is getting to the gold price is not through margin. It is through extended mine life. So you would have to be more of a NAV-based investor than a cash flow-based investor to really see the leverage that comes from uh, producing gold at lower grades than current reserve grades. Now, there are reasons that equities uh, or companies or mines, in fact, will produce gold at uh, lower grades than reserves. It can be predicted in the mine plan. But what we're talking about here is companies that are deliberately stepping outside of their mine plan to mine lower grade material, uh, to preserve their higher grade material for a later day and extend their mine lives. Now, where I sort of come onto this is that, and this is a very active debate in the gold investment market, uh, where I come into this is that I think that uh, the reason you would invest in a gold equity is that when the gold price goes up, you get a leveraged performance on that. And as I mentioned, the lower grade or low grading or mine life extension approach does give you leverage, but not the same leverage as the impact you would get from producing along the lines of your reserves and just having the gold price move higher while you're at a what is currently quite a benign uh, cost environment. We have relatively low oil prices. Um, the foreign exchange uh, impacts are not particularly exaggerated for most countries at the moment. Uh, we have a relatively flexible labor market. And one of the advantages that the gold companies have is that not all of the commodities uh, are moving up. We don't have a, a huge commodity super cycle like we did 10 years ago, where iron ore companies are competing with copper companies, are competing with gold companies for you know infrastructure equipment like yellow trucks, for skilled engineers, for uh, you know capital project people, those types of things. Right now, the gold companies are in the pole position when it comes to, to having capital equipment come in and they have the best uh, cost base. So what we do have an opportunity for here is for the costs to remain constant. And remember, the lower the grade goes, the higher the costs generally go because you're processing more tons for the same amount of gold. Um, so that's that's an important factor to consider. So if somebody was to keep to the existing mine plan and costs were to remain benign, you would have cash flow leverage, you would have operating margin leverage, you would have near term leverage to these higher gold prices that we're in rather than the longer term. And personally, I, I find that this is the, the better approach for uh, investors, particularly newer investors to the space. Uh, generalists aren't accustomed to doing long-term NAVs based off of fairly uh, esoteric uh, mine life plans that sort of appear in 300-page documents. Uh, if the gold price goes up and the margins go up more, the investor would feel that they're being rewarded for the idiosyncratic risks that they're, they're taking on by investing in these gold companies. Um, and I, I think that's the better approach. But there are plenty that take the other approach. So, so perhaps, Colin, would you like to sort of take maybe the other side of the approach on this one? So historically, in this industry, we've seen gold prices move and miners effectively find ways of spending that cash. Now we have a situation where this year, for example, costs have gone up a little bit, mainly due to COVID-19 related restrictions, but nothing like the extent that prices have gone up. So we've got this profitability gap opening. CapEx is down, costs are pretty static, prices are up. This is good for free cash flow. Uh, so Brian, what do you expect gold miners to do now? Yeah, thanks, Colin. That's actually a pretty active debate in the market as well. Um, there's several ways that this can come together. Um, I think one of the most successful things to do as this free cash flow uh, gap opens up is to do more exploration. Um, one of the best things you can do with more cash is put it back into the ground to find more gold. And 
doing it by more exploration rather than the simple math of raising reserve price actually provides more gold at similar grades as what you've had in the past. Uh, another common way of doing this is through a dividend policy. And we've definitely seen, while you know these aren't very high dividend paying stocks as a general rule, they are definitely higher than before, which was essentially zero. Uh, and we're also seeing share buybacks come into vogue within the gold space as well. So yes, the companies have realized that they don't have the best public perception uh, due to their sins of the past. And they are looking to instill some capital discipline uh, and return some of this capital to shareholders with the, the newfound free cash flow. Um, as you mentioned before, you know these companies have uh, a fairly dismal track record when it comes to doing this for extended periods of time. And in fact, we have a 25-year chart that shows the gold price meets the uh, meets the cost curve when you put an all-in cost um, pretty pretty close to exactly bang on um, for the last 25 years. That means that companies have spent every dollar that's come in the door, but it does seem that that is opening up right now. Where there becomes some issues with this, I guess, is that um, new capital for developing new mines, while it does seem to be becoming available, uh, there's a much more cautious approach uh, coming from the companies in terms of developing these new projects, which could lead to some of the supply declines that we're currently forecasting in our models over the, the medium to longer term. So that, that's going to be an impact as well. Um, and I guess sort of retracing back to companies that take different approaches in terms of, uh, you know, maintaining costs to have that uh, higher free cash flow margin um, and getting the more near term support. Uh, a company that we like that has been doing that for a while now, uh, and this is a company that does a lot of exploration, has a very significant share buyback program and has been paying dividends to its shareholders uh, in an ever-growing fashion, is Kirkland Lake. They have some of the best free cash flow yields in the space. Uh, they have some of the highest grade mines in the space. They're also expanding and developing the Macassar mine. So they're sort of firing on all cylinders uh, without having to uh, resort to mining uh, much lower grade material. Uh, they're also very blessed to have the Swan Zone, which is a geological anomaly, um, and that is has a relatively short mine life, but it is producing a huge amount of free cash flow at the moment, and the company is using it well. It currently trades at a slight discount, and we believe that a company that's active in Canada and Australia should trade at a premium. For companies that are at a uh, sort of a longer stretching out of a mine life type of a, a, a discussion, what we'd be looking at there is a company like Argonaut Gold. Uh, they have a capital project in Magino, which is you know of modest grade, but it is in Canada, and they're partially through the financing of that. Uh, they have some lower grade material that benefits from a higher gold price through additional pit laybacks in Mexico, and particularly around the El Castillo uh, complex there. Uh, but also in the uh, the new Florida Canyon mine that they've got in Nevada. So once again, solid political jurisdictions, but instead of you know high dividends and increasing dividends and share buybacks and the like, what we have here is a company that's putting its money into growth. And going forward, it's a much smaller company than Kirkland Lake, obviously, but it should, it should be able to be more nimble on that. One of the other things to note, I guess, is that uh, it's possible to do both. You can have a older mine, typically, where you run the mine plan at a higher gold price because you end up with the lav nav leverage on that coming through off of a much shorter mine life to start with. So you do end up with medium-term leverage from there, whereas you could keep for newer mines the, the gold price low and stick more to the higher-grade portions of your mine uh, and maintain that free cash flow leverage. 
that would probably provide the solution that's the best of all worlds. Um, and I think that may become a, a trend that we see uh, coming through in some upcoming conferences here and going through into year-end reserve and resource reporting. So we've given you some examples of equities that be benefit from both sides of the higher gold price environment. And we've gone through some of the strategies that these companies can have and things that investors can look for depending upon their investor desires. And with that, I guess I'll turn it over to you, Colin, for some concluding remarks. Brian, thank you very much for those insights. So just to wrap up here, I mean, Tyler, we are in a supportive environment for gold from a macroeconomic perspective. Many of the factors which have pushed gold to where they are today will, will persist and will underpin it at these levels. But in our view, the story from here is not about the gold price necessarily going higher. It could do, and that would be a further benefit to the, the industry. But for us, it's more about the profitability. We're at this stage where the profitability we're seeing in the gold industry now opens up a lot of options for the mining companies. There are certainly operational decisions to be made, but in our view, there are a number of opportunities that exist for an industry where the discipline has changed and where we are looking at an environment now that will be very supportive of cash flows over the coming period. We have a lot of experience. We are here to help you. And at BMO, we have very strong gold equity coverage across a number of jurisdictions and very seasoned analysts like Brian, who are here to help provide advice. We also publish regularly our gold pages. This is a breakdown of the key metrics across the gold industry and is a data series that we think is unparalleled in terms of sell-side research. So thank you so much for your attention today. And if you do have any follow-up questions, please do just get in contact with the team. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.